Welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea, and I'm an automotive columnist for Bay Area News Group, which is the San Jose Mercury and the East Bay Times in Walnut Creek. I publish the website, theweeklydriver.com. My co-host and friend uh, is Bruce Aldrich, and today we have on, officially it's James, but I understand he, you prefer to be called Jim Brooks, and Jim owns a used car business in Bakersfield, and we just thought we would call Jim because we know that the used car business is changing, uh, particularly in light of uh, uh, the coronavirus, uh, and now that there are many websites that you can buy cars um, directly, but uh, Jim has a traditional business, although he has a website, of course, but uh, Jim, welcome to our program, and we're going to talk about used cars today, so thanks for being available. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on. Jim, could you give us an overview of your business, its name, and how long you've been involved uh, in, in the business that you're in? Sure. Um, I started Approved Autos in March of 2005, and uh, so I'm approaching 16 years in the business, and uh, it's a small operation. I generally have maybe 35 to 40 vehicles on the lot at any time, and along with your just normal transportation vehicles, I also enjoy selling uh, classics, so I usually have a couple of classics that I'm involved with selling at any given time as well. That's great. Uh, I didn't know you did classics. That's, that's interesting. Uh, do you have a client yeah. beforehand, or typically, or do you buy something that you like that you think is you know a good that you can make money on? Obviously, um, or uh, how does that work? So I haven't really been able to. You know, if somebody has a particular car they're after when it comes to a classic, I haven't been able to fine-tune finding that at a good price. But an example, um, the other day I picked up a 1960 uh, Ford Falcon Ranchero that a guy hadn't driven for maybe five or six years. I was able to pick it up at a low price. And then my dad, who's retired, and I, we like to get them back up to where they're roadworthy and uh, put them out there for the next person to enjoy. Um, so I've got that for sale right now. And last month I actually on consignment was able to sell a beautiful car. I had a 69 uh, Camaro convertible that was a uh, resto mod. And that was kind of a, a high end car for me that was retailing around 70,000. So I'm all over the place. Just if there's an old car, I can hop in and drive for a minute and maybe turn a profit. Uh, I'm, I'm always interested. How much of your business or your time is spent trying to get stock? Do you go to the auto auctions and do you check you know, car ads, or how do you get your stock? Well, most of the time it's through the auctions, and that's really changed a lot this year. Um, I'm a hands-on person where I want to go and, and walk the auction. Typically what I would do is hop in the car at 4 in the morning, drive to Southern California to where the auction's at. They'll let you in, um, you know, about three hours before the auction starts. The auctions I go to usually have, anywhere from 2,400 to maybe 3,000 cars there. So really beforehand, I'll have a list of things that I think I'm interested in. But as I'm walking, I'm also going to discover other things that I didn't even know were there. Um, and, you know, then you, you do your inspection and you get on the lane and you bid against other live bidders. And that's really changed uh, recently. You know, now it's all online and uh, that creates a, a series of other issues to navigate because, you know, there's nothing like uh, crawling underneath a car or listening to how it sounds or, you know, how it smells. Did, you know, did they have dogs in it or, yes. you know, did, did it get detailed and left closed and now it smells bad? You know, these are all things that you really can't do over the internet. So 
that's been something to adjust to. Now, so this is a temporary thing for COVID then? Um, I online so, or because you hope so. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That sounds. Yeah. Odd. Yeah. I, I really do. I really do hope so. Um, just because uh, it, it did get implant, you know, it got implemented, um, because of COVID of course, but, um, it's, um, uh, it seems like maybe it could be more beneficial to the auction companies to do it in this manner because they have, they can hire less staff. Um, you know, the, and us dealers, we still fight for the cars, like we're there live and like, we've got a hundred percent of the information on them. I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm really hoping it does go to that. It's, uh, our situation in the world has affected every business, whether it's yours or mine or anybody's business. So we're all hoping, I guess, that, you know, we'll, we'll see, uh, the silver lining, uh, in the situation is that we're all working a little bit harder, but we all like what we do for the most part. And hopefully it'll, it'll turn around. Um, but what you just explained to us triggered two more questions that I was um, didn't think I would ask. And number one, you mentioned your father, and a lot of people uh, get into their occupations um, through their father. Did you grow up with your dad uh, tinkering with cars, or, and was he involved in the industry as well? That's number one. And number two, when you go to these auctions and you get you know a 4 a.m. start, are there a lot of other James Brooks out there doing the same thing that you are? And, and how competitive is how competitive is it? Okay, yeah. Um, so in regards to my dad, um, his version of having a car lot was that uh, my dad worked in the oil industry here in Bakersfield, and that's the type of job where you can go to work one day and have a good paying job, and then the next day go in and you don't. Yes. Without much explanation. So as a way to always um, make sure that we had, you know, food on the table, my dad would always be looking for good deals on cars. So generally speaking, he always had one, two cars around that he had bought and cheap, and he would turn around and fix them up and then have them for sale. And so a lot of times that was uh, just kind of how he filled in the cracks of our family's income. Yes. And it made, it made it interesting. I have a memory as a little kid in the 80s riding around in a 64 Impala with hydraulics on it and an <laughs> abalone paint job all down the side. Oh, my gosh. And, what a memory. You know, he would just come up with these crazy cars that, uh, you know, that sometimes didn't fit our family, but, you know, he always turned them and made some money. And so it's, uh, you know, it, it's a blast. It's it's really a blast to have him down there, you know, assisting me. He mostly works on the old cars, you know, because he's got insights into that that, as a kid, I just completely ignored, and now I'm just hungry for all of his knowledge. That's right. It's um, like um, so, if I can divert my, my mom and dad were antique dealers, and I had no interest in it as a young boy, and now I wish I did. And, and now certainly I have a, a, a big interest in things that are old, and whether it's cars or furniture or whatever it is. So we, we share that, but we didn't really understand how, how important it was to, to know these things. Oh, uh, yeah. I think the older we get, the uh, cooler and more intelligent we find our parents. <laughs> That's very well said. Bruce, um, go ahead. Yeah. Sure, Jim. I'm just curious. So when you walk into a dealership uh, as a customer, how do you look at each person walking through that door? Is, do you think, are you trying to use psychology much, or do you just think, hey, I got a good product. Uh, if they like it, they want it. If they don't, they'll leave, or what? What's the all the, the backstory there when you see a customer coming in? How you size them up? Well, um, I learned early on not to spend too much time sizing people up by their you know appearance or 
the way they came in the door. I had a sales manager when I was younger tell me that, um, you know, because I was in a big dealership where it was a system where if, if you were the first one to speak to somebody, that was now your opportunity and your customer. And I had a sales manager tell me, um, he called me by my last name. He said, Brooks, if you think that you see somebody that's a buyer and there's somebody that you think's not a buyer, go to the person that you think's not a buyer. And so I was around all these guys and they would have these um, preconceived ideas that like if there was a man there shopping trucks and then there was also a woman shopping trucks, they'd rush to the man because, you know, he's a decision maker where he's going to he's going to do something right now. And so I followed my sales manager's advice and I would always go to the other person. And uh, I want to say that most of the time it worked out to my advantage. And so to this day, um, if a person comes in and they, you know, if they're dirty, I just say, oh, they must be out working. They must have a job. They must have the ability to buy a car. Um, so I, I don't really spend too much time initially um, judging the situation. And I don't use a lot of psychology in what I do. I mostly will ask questions about what the person feels their needs are and um, also what their abilities are as far as, you know, how is their credit. Uh, here in my market, I have a lot of people that, you know, I have to find, you know, like subprime credit options. And so without knowing I was going to get good at that, that's what I really got good at is helping people that have maybe had damaged credit or never established and um, good about helping them get back into some credit. And, uh, you know, a lot of them I've seen go from where it's a struggle to get them financed to, you know, three or four years later, they're buying a house. And that's really a rewarding thing to see. Sure, sure it is. Yeah. Let me go back. And I, I didn't give you an opportunity I, uh, to answer the question about when you go to these auctions. That's always fascinated me. Bruce and I have been to some, well, it's different, but it's the same. We've been to some car auctions at some of the auto shows on the Monterey Peninsula. And it's a fascinating process to watch. What is that like when you go and do the other guys who are, or women who are in the same business you're in? Do they? Uh, do you all know each other? And is there is there? Uh, I'm sure that there's a skill to to try to get what you want in in the in the shopping process of of used cars. Oh yeah. Um, so one of my favorite things about the business is going to the auction. That's just a. Um, if I can offer you just kind of a visual of it. Sure. Long building with 13 lanes in it, usually 12 or 13 lanes. And there's a raised podium at each one of the lanes. There's an auctioneer that's up in the podium. So under one roof, you have, you know, anywhere from 10 to 13 auctioneers, you know, doing their chatter. Um, on each lane, you have maybe 30, 40 people standing on, on the sides of the lanes, potentially bidding, not all of them bidding, but some of them are. And then on each lane, you have two flat screens on each side where you have people from all over the country that are also potentially bidding against you, you know, because California is a market where people in, in the wet states really want to get our cars because they're not as damaged as they get older. Yes. And so um, it can get very competitive. Um, you know, you stand there and when a, when a car comes up on the lane, um, up on the block for bidding, it, it might be 30, 45 seconds and it's sold. Oh my gosh. And yeah, it's, it's really fast. And then generally what happens is the auctioneer will start at a, at a, at a price that's high and nobody's going to pay it and see if he catches somebody that really wants the thing. 
And then if no one's really bidding as he kind of drops down slowly, he'll drop way too low to where everyone that even was halfway interested is going to bid. And so suddenly he grabs, you know, seven or eight bids. And now you're back up there above what everybody on the lane actually wished they were going to pay for the car. Just in, <laughs> I love just in that. an instant. I think I want to get up at <laughs> yeah. four in the morning just to observe this. This would be great. <laughs> it's it's amazing. I mean, imagine um, like this auction I was mentioning has 2,800 cars that run through every Thursday. Mm -hmm. um, imagine that they run all of those cars through in about a four-hour period. Wow. So, That's chaos. You know, That's total chaos. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's it's awesome, though. And yeah. I, and I, you get such good exercise from it, too, because you're, you're walking for three hours looking at cars. And then once the auction starts, you know, I might be in lane 12 bidding on number 50, but over in lane one, I need to get over there and bid on, you know, number 65. And, you know, so, so there's a lot of just, you know, I do a lot of jogging when I go to the auction. <laughs> That's great. That is is it cars and trucks and, and work vehicles? Is it, is it uh, encompass all kinds of uh, motor vehicles? Oh, yeah. Um, Yes, um, they're going to have, there's an auction that has motorcycles. There's even one that happens once a month that has uh, all of your, your fun stuff, your RVs, your quads, um, any kind of trailers, boats. Um, that's always fun to go watch. And, you know, a couple of times I've had people send me after things that they specifically wanted. And, you know, that's been interesting because I have to hurry up and educate myself on that because that's not something I do regularly. And, you know, if you go in there and start bidding, you know, and you you uh, don't know the market on something, it, it can be bad for you. How's a car get to the uh, to this uh, forum that you're speaking of? Is it uh, agency or trade-ins and repossessions? And how do they get there? So, uh, yeah, so that's going to be a variety of sources. It's going to be uh, trade-ins, of course, um, which, you know, lately there have been less trade-ins. So, you know, that's been a struggle. Um, so there's trade-ins, there's repossessions, there are lease returns, uh, rental car companies. And then I think there's some like independent consigners, you know, if somebody's got something that they, they want to sell, there are these wholesale companies that, uh, go around and they'll also, um, you know, go out on the street and buy as many private party cars as they can. And, you know, you'll see those little companies like every week, you know, they have, you know, 20 to 40 cars running through and, so there's a, a good little variety of sources that the vehicles come from. Oh, okay. Jim, I don't know who has a worse, a worse reputation, uh, journalists or used car salesmen, but tell us, <laughs> to, tell us why, uh, and I'm sure you have a great answer, it, does it bother you if, if somebody asks what you do and you say, I, I, I sell used cars? And do you, do you get funny looks? And I, I'm not trying to you know be disparaging in any way. I, I'm fascinated by it. But have you... Um, experience that like well when are you going to grow up or what kind of response have you had through the years if you don't mind sharing so if i could go um even a little bit further back than that sure the reason i ever first stepped in the car business is uh when i was much younger i was going to become a father sooner than sooner than i really thought through yes and i was uh working at a video store making seven dollars and 25 cents an hour and going to be a dad and my um girlfriend's father told me, um, Brooks, I need you to come sell cars for me. And I looked at him and I said, uh, I don't like car salesmen. I, I don't like, uh, being, you know, pushed by them or, you know, misled. And he looked at me real seriously. And he said, 
how are you going to like yourself if you can't support your kid? Gotcha. And I looked, I looked at my girlfriend. I said, I guess I'm selling cars. And so <laughs> I went in and I started to sell cars. And I did that for a couple of years at a franchise dealership. Yes. I liked a lot of the aspects of it. Um, but I always had this lingering feeling of what you described of, you know, because I, I, too, didn't like dealing with car dealers. So whenever I was working at the franchise dealership, because I was asked to do a lot of what I would consider pushy tactics, and I wasn't really uh, allowed to accept, you know, when people would say, hey, I just want to look, you know, I had to turn them into a manager and do this whole thing that I felt was just too much. Yes. So I never felt really good about it. I, I didn't like telling people that I sold cars. But um, maybe a 15-year break where I worked for the phone company. Yes. And then on a wild hair, I quit my job and opened my dealership. And I've always had a lot of pride in what I do. Because whenever from the day I opened my doors, I had made a decision that I was going to make people feel good when they came in. I was going to sell them what they wanted. And I was going to try to find a way to help people. Mm -hmm. And because I feel like I help people, I've never had any kind of... um, you know, doubting feelings. I do occasionally get a person that automatically doesn't trust me because of um, what I do, because, you know, I get it. There's a lot of people that will mislead you, um, you know, in my business. And I just make it my goal to demonstrate to them that that's not the case with me. And when that happens, I usually get a customer for a long time and they'll usually refer people to me. That's great. Thank you for that answer. Yeah. Hey, what can you talk about price too? It's negotiable, right? Oh, so yeah. how does that you think a car is worth X, but you'll market as X plus. Um, how does a person negotiate with you? So with me, it, it's often um, because I'm dealing in the subprime market and there are um, some things behind the scenes that I um, like. So when I'm helping someone that say has like a, a 570 FICA score, the lender that I'm going to send that individual to, they're going to ask for an acquisition fee that is not allowed to be charged to, um, you know, to the customer. So I can't tack that on top of my sales price. It's not legal to do that. So very often the negotiating that I do at my shop is if the lender decides they want a $800 fee or a thousand dollar fee, um, you know, I will simply leave the price at what I've asked. And then, you know, just have that, that be taken out. Uh, on the other hand, yesterday I sold a little Kia Soul and, um, lady walked in and she offered me about a thousand dollars less than, than what I was asking. I walked inside, saw what I was in it, thought I hadn't sold anything today. Some money's better than no money. And I just shook her hand or actually in 2020, I just said, sure, let's do it. And yeah, really. put your mask on. <laughs> Yeah, touched her elbow and shook, you know, touched elbows. So it, you, you're always yeah. in a, you're always in a different position with every car. So it, every car is unique, I guess. Absolutely, and right now, especially because um, the way that the vehicles are priced. So when I started in 2005, I would look at Kelly Blue Book, you know, because they have a product that's for dealers that shows wholesale and retail values. And when uh, somebody would come by to sell me a car, like a wholesaler, or if I was at the auction. It was a nice car. I would expect to pay maybe like fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars below the wholesale value. So that way, if I've got to buy tires or I've got to do reconditioning, I've got that room to do it. Well, now it's very often that when you blue book a car, you might only have a thousand 
to maybe $2,000 worth of difference between the wholesale value and the retail value. And what I'm seeing more and more is to buy a car as a dealer, you've got to pay wholesale or more because of the, there's kind of a scarcity thing that's going on right now. Gotcha. And you're taking a lot of risk too. I I would assume that uh, sometimes you're backing that car off the transporter and the transmission, you know, takes a dump or something. I mean, that's going to come out of your pocket, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, And and that's the thing that is uh, one of the reasons why I'm really hoping that at some point we can go back to, you know, live auctions is because um, whenever I get onto the auction website to do my bidding that I do right now, um, there are condition reports. And those condition reports are um, done by employees of the auction. And I don't necessarily think that, you know, they're intending to overlook things, but they have to do a lot of condition reports and in a short period of time. And so when I, like I bought a load of maybe 10 cars a week ago and two or three of them, when they came in, you know, there were, you know, sections of the car that I had to take to get repainted or, you know, just that condition report was clearly not accurate. Or if it was a guaranteed, what they call a green light vehicle, which means it should have no problems at all. You know, it showed up with the check engine light. So so yeah, it's definitely risky. And then on top of that, because dealers are paying more for the cars right now, we're we're not. I don't know. It's 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 just um, I'm pricing some of my vehicles more based on what I think is fair in my market, more so than what it is on Kelly Blue Book because I I don't feel like it's always in line because Kelly Blue Book. I don't know if you guys realize it, but it used to only change every three months. And now Kelly Blue Book changes every week. I had no idea. And yeah, it's kind of wild because I used to be able to buy a car at a Thursday auction. And then for a couple months, it would be worth what the Blue Book said at the day of that auction. Now I can literally, depending on what happens at the auction uh, the week before, I can literally buy a car and then the next Monday, it'll be worth more or less money than I bought it for. You could lose Thursday money a before. week later, huh? Oh, my gosh. Uh, that yeah, sounds like being an independent journalist. I, I don't know what's happening from one day to the next, but uh, we, we share another similarity there. But um, I wanted to jump into a different area, uh, and, and I discussed this with you briefly on the telephone the other day. Uh, there are uh, several companies now that are doing national advertising, television campaigns, radio campaigns. Carvana, there's a new one called Shift that has a unusual commercial uh, where a guy is driving along the street and he's throwing money out the window and so this is what happens when you buy a new car. I'm going to turn around and pick up that cash. I know it's illegal to litter and he he's representing this. He has a very dry sense of humor and he's doing the commercials for this new company called Shift. So has that how has that if it has affected your your business with these national companies coming in selling uh, used vehicles? Well, I first saw um, a change, or I, I first saw myself and my business being affected when um, we didn't have a CarMax in our town for a long time. And when they came in, it definitely drew a lot of the used car business away from independents like myself. Yes. Now with the uh, online-driven companies, uh, that is definitely the way that the business is, um, is moving. You know, you have the convenience factor and then, um, like stepping back to what we were talking about, the perceptions of the used car business, not being favorable. That also helps, 
you know, people kind of gravitate towards the um, business model like you've just described. So uh, I definitely have had a few customers of mine tell me during coronavirus um, that they purchased, you know, like through companies like, uh, you know, you mentioned Shift, I think, and then Carvana. And uh, one in particular was, yeah, we, he's a great customer, been one for forever. And, um, you know, he came by and he's like, I'm really sorry, but, you know, it was just so easy, you know. Yes. And um, it's definitely, you know, um, a threat to, you know, smaller independents. Um, but, you know, the convenience factor that they're offering is something that I, a lot of people in the public want. Wow. I, I guess if I was buying a toaster oven or a washing machine, maybe I'd do it online. I just can't see not kicking the tires and taking oh, a no, test yeah, drive. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I want to go to uh-huh, a guy like I, you. I appreciate that. And and I'm with you on that. I, I've i always been the, you know, I want to hop in it and drive it. I want to feel what it's like, especially with some of these um, cars that are out now that you know, if you've never driven, say, um, like right now I'm driving, I forget the year, but it's a, it's a Fiat 500 X and it's their little bitty looks kind of like an SUV. And, you know, if I looked at that online and I read the specs, I'd be like, you know, that's kind of a, you know, cool car to drive. But, you know, after driving it, it's fine for somebody, but I would never want that car. It's not so cool, huh? Not so cool. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Just, you know, doesn't have the boogie, you know, that I want. So I just, um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And I think there will always be people that want the person-to-person interaction. And then I think my customers like that they have a face to come back to if there's a problem. They can come back and say, Jim, you know, and then I've got to try to help them out. Sure. Jim, how do you uh, handle the uh, recalls and airbag situations? Do you have problems with either of those? Um, you, well, so whenever we take the vehicles, um, in, I immediately run a Carfax and that's pretty good about telling me the ones that need to be addressed. Um, also, uh, just recently they started when you take a vehicle and get it smogged, it also pulls up any like pending recalls. Okay. So, um, for the most part, we're able just to call, you know, the franchise dealer and say, Hey, we've got this. And some of them are looking for business so much that they'll actually um, drive to your dealership and do like the airbags in particular. They'll do them right there. Oh, that's great. Didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, there's a, like a neighboring town where I think their service department was slow and they were calling me periodically and saying, Hey, you know, uh, do you, we noticed on your website, you have this and this, it was a Ford dealer. I want to say, and uh, they would drive over from maybe 45 minutes away and have all the parts and just do it right there. That's great. Wow, my Subaru had to go in twice for airbags, and they <laughs> kept it all day. <laughs> Holy smokes. We're coming down your way pretty soon. Um, uh, <laughs> Jim, I wanted to ask you about another area, and um, that is we've talked to people um, somewhat related to your industry, whether it was car collectors or there was a guy here in Sacramento who had a, a, a pickup truck a while back that it was um, – detailed uh for the san francisco giants it had all that and he had it on consignment and we've talked to a few other people and they've all had a story or two that um they got an unusual car that was somehow some way who knows different ways it happened but have you had a an occasion or two where you've gotten a car that you would just never expected that would be (laughs) available through your through your business something out of the ordinary um, well, yeah, I, I did. Um, just recently, I um, was at home on a Sunday, and an artist friend of mine, he 
he's kind of fun because most of his artwork deals with uh, with cars. Yes. And so he calls me up, and he knows we both have kind of a taste for eclectic vehicles. And he says, hey, I don't know if this truck is a good investment, but it's certainly cool to look at. And so I get online, and there is a 1990 GMC Sierra that was modified um, just right out of the factory in 1990 by a company called Rage Customs. And what they did is they took a half-ton Sierra and then made it have dual rear wheels. And then they also did this kind of outrageous body kit that made it look futuristic. So yes. uh, it either looked like a boat or a rocket ship. I'm not sure. <laughs> and so I went over and, uh, and you know, I thought, I'll go see what, what the truck's about. And the guy wanted, um, you know, he, what I thought he wanted but it was also still risky because it's such an odd item. Sure. And uh, I went over to the guy's house and we talked and then I, I got ready to leave because I, I just saw some repairs I didn't want to deal with at the price. And as I was leaving, he said, you know, I really want to get rid of this truck. It was my grandfather's. He took it up to Idaho. I brought it back uh, after he passed. And so I gave him his price that he countered me with. And I um, had it in front of my shop the following Monday. Well, there's a man that my dad's acquainted with. That's He's 84 years old, and he was, happened to be driving by. And he calls, and he says, hey, what are you doing with Mr. Greider's truck over there? Oh, are, boy. Is he trading that in to you? And I said, uh, no, actually, you know, he moved up to Idaho. And he goes, I know. I went up there fishing with him a couple years ago. And I said, well, I'm sorry to tell you, but he passed away, and I bought it from his grandson. And he goes, well, you know, I've been trying to buy that truck since he got it in 1990 he used to bring it to my repair shop and he said the only way he'd ever sell it to me is if he was dead <laughs> oh my and, gosh what a story and, and this is a, this, well it gets better it gets, oh, it gets please, better this please. guy um he uh he's capable of buying whatever he wants so yes. at any point even though it was a sixty thousand dollar truck back in 1990 um he could have um he could have bought one had he wanted one, but sure. he's just, you know, he's kind of tight with his money and smart with it, I would say. Sure. So he told me, um, well, I'm going to come down there and look at it. And I told him, I said, well, Dwayne, when you do, just tell me what you'll pay me for it. Cause I don't want to sell it to anybody else. So he shows up and he makes me an offer. Um, and I'm all over it. I said, well, let me finish the repairs I want to do to it. And it's yours. And then we started talking and he says, well, you know, I see you're always selling old cars down here. I don't let too many people see what I got down the street, but do you want to come over and look? And so I ended up going down there and, um, he had a uh, 31, um, classics just of all different eras inside of these warehouses. And what I was able to buy from him that day, which he hasn't been cut loose. He's like more of a collector than a seller. Um, I bought a, uh, 71 Chevy C20 with a camper on it that his aunt and uncle parked in 1982. So it's got a black plate and the last sticker is 1982 on it. Time capsule. In really nice condition. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. And then I was, then also in the same warehouse, he had a 1967 Oldsmobile and um, it got parked in 1977. And then just because I was in a goofy mood, I guess I bought a 1956 uh, Dodge tow truck from him that I'm going to fix and hopefully sell. Oh, I love but, that one. Uh, That's great. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's really unique looking. Um, but I'm, I'm, uh, excited and I need to hurry and get these things on the market and sold because he wants me to go back down afterwards. Cause just, I, I guess what I'm, uh, 
what I find neat about that is that, you know, he was able to obtain something that he wanted for over the course of 30 years. And uh, then he also invited me in to see some of his oldies, which has that, been really fun. That's a lot of patience that guy had, huh? That's that's a great karma story. Um, of, if You know, right up there with the top karma stories I've heard about automobiles. It's fantastic. Good for you. Yeah, I told him. I said, he said, "Well, I'm gonna come down there and talk to you." I said, "You're buying it, man. This is this is this is it, you know." But he likes unique trucks. His other truck is one of those uh, Lincoln Blackwoods. So oh my gosh! Yeah, that's a very yeah, yeah. He's got one of those, and then he also has that uh, Cadillac that you know where they made the. Um, it looked kind of like the Ranchero back in the old days, but it was a Cadillac. Yes, I do recall. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he's 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 got one of those as well. So when it comes to Odd pickups. He's the king of those. That's Did great. he have one of those Harley Davidson pickups? Was that Ford or was that also a Lincoln? Uh, I've had a few on the lot uh, over the years. I've I've had a couple of those, um, and I think the last one I had was even supercharged too. Yes. And w- was it Ford Lincoln? Or it neither? was a Ford. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Jim, I was going to uh, divert into another area real quick. I think I saw this yesterday, or maybe the day before, on a new legislation with um, odometer readings. has Have you been up on that? And am I understanding it correctly that it pertains particularly to California or have you not been able to see that or am I just speaking something that I'm just made up? I think I, think I saw it yesterday <laughs> that there's a whole new category um, of odometer um, regulations. Uh, you know, I, I haven't become aware of it yet. Um, I... What is it? What was the um, kind of the general? What was the gist of it? To to uh, I think to take a a, st- a more strict look at uh, some of the fraud that might be out there. Huh? Yeah. So so for used cars in in California, the way that the DMV views anything ten years and older, yes, they view it as um, you know as true miles unknown. So okay, it, they it might be for some of these cars that are just a couple of years old or could something. be. I'll have to go back and read the article in detail. Yeah, I just saw I'm the not headline. really. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure on that one, but I uh, I haven't had really any trouble with odometer stuff just because um with the history reports i mean you know you have to run one on every cell you do and yes they really do um help with uh curbing that type of stuff gotcha yeah back in the day everybody everybody <laughs> I knew say it. everybody but <laughs> lots of people some of the car dealerships <laughs> did yeah. that yeah um I, I think if that happens now it's probably mostly um when they export cars out of the country I, I'm, I'm sure that you know, because I used to buy several years ago. I used to buy some pickups from a security company that used them, uh-huh. and they would have a couple hundred thousand miles on them. And I would just always go make these low offers, get them, and then one day I stopped getting them, and I found out that um, there was somebody that was offering more. But then later I was over at a uh, like a pickup salvage place to you know buy some parts for a truck I had. And, um, the guy that was bidding against me walked in and didn't realize I was there. And I watched him, uh, replacing clusters on Toyota Tacomas. Oh boy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that settles he, that. Yeah. But, <laughs> he, mileage ones. but I knew he, I, I knew he was an exporter. So, you know, that's, uh, you know, cause these cars, they end up all over the place. That's right. Well, uh, Jim, um, I sure learned a lot in the last half hour or so and really want to thank you. Uh, could you point people towards your website? Uh, give us the URL if you would. Sure, it's uh, approvedautosca.com. Well, great. And I really, 
Yeah, I was just going to say I really appreciated talking to you guys today. Yeah, it was sure. it was great. I, I had a whole bunch of new knowledge about nice your, insight. Yes, nice insight into your industry and um, best of the holiday to you. And and uh, one of these days you're going to have two guys show up, and uh, when we can b- go back and visit people, we'll we'll come your way from Sacramento, and we'll all go have a cup of coffee or something. So thank you for your time today, yeah. Jim. Thank you. Paul, hey, thank you guys, and I hope you have a merry Christmas. Thank you very much. Same to you. Bye now.